from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. On this episode of Newt's World, I first spoke with my guest, Andy No on June 17, 2020, when he joined me to discuss Seattle's Autonomous Zone. This was a time last summer when Antifa protesters in Seattle, Washington, declared an area that included the Seattle Police Department's East Precinct as the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone after Seattle Police and the National Guard pulled out of the region. The six-block region was declared an autonomous zone, and the ensuing chaos ended in murder until the Seattle police took it back over. He's become the journalist who covers Antifa. Andy is editor-at-large for the Post Millennial and contributing reporter for New York Post and Newsweek. Now he has a new book out, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. I'm really pleased to welcome Andy No. I know you've been studying this for a long time. Why did you decide to write this book? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on again. Well, I started off as a student journalist back in 2016. And in November of that year, after the surprise election win of Donald Trump, when I was on assignment covering the reactions in my home city of Portland, Oregon, that was when I saw mobs of dozens and dozens of people dressed in black with their faces covered and carrying melee weapons and wrecking havoc and smashing up property and starting fires. The lack of curiosity that I saw from the local legacy press in identifying who these people were and what ideology they 
espoused stood out to me. So as a student journalist, I began to cover as a beat that eventually made me persona non grata at my university because I was viewed as somebody who was not on the side of these so-called anti-fascists, what they call themselves. I've continued on that beat as a now full-time professional journalist. And I think for the past four and a half years, the public in the United States have been sold a false narrative and false reports about who the Antifa actually are. If you read a lot of the headlines from our papers or record, you would think these were really noble people, anti-fascists who were fighting against neo-Nazis and other extremists in order to protect people of color. But what I've seen with my own eyes and what I've seen and learned through my own reporting is that these are anarchist communists who absolutely hate the United States and that their brawls and fights that they do on the street is just one of their many actions. In 2020, many Americans got to witness, unfortunately, their carnage throughout so many cities and urban areas. Portland in particular was under siege, really, for more than 120 days of nightly riots, where Antifa were carrying out, in my view, terrorist attacks. They killed a Trump supporter with a gun in downtown Portland. They set fires to police stations. They made homemade explosives, and they threw them at law enforcement. This is a terroristic movement and ideology, and so many people are getting fooled into thinking that they're actually anti-fascists. I have to ask you just a general question. I hadn't realized you'd grown up in Portland. Aren't you sort of astonished? I remember Portland 10, 15 years ago. It was a very pleasant town. And it strikes me now that, in fact, somebody on Fox News this morning said there'd been a 700% increase in crime in Portland. Aren't you kind of amazed at how the city has changed? My heart breaks. This is the place where my parents, who were refugees, asylum seekers, who fled communist Vietnam, ultimately settled in and chose to bring up their children in their newfound home. And to see it devolve into a place where there's a breakdown in, in the basic rule of law in the ability for law enforcement to protect the most basic rights of citizens, property, access to public spaces, etc. And it's not too surprising when you look actually at how it all played out. It happened relatively rapidly, accelerated under what the so-called resistance to Trump was the pretext to sort of um, move in this direction of implementing new laws and undoing certain things in the name of social justice. And then after the death of George Floyd in May of 2020, it just accelerated exponentially. The mayor, in consultation with those on city council, dismantled the gun violence reduction team of the Portland police. They slashed millions from the police budget. And now we see, as you mentioned a moment ago, this exponential rise in violent crimes and homicides. I want to ask these lawmakers, these decision makers, what did you think was going to happen when you take away law enforcement resources, when you, in the case of 90% of those who have been arrested at riots, when the district attorney drops their charges? 
and that people can be arrested up to eight times in the course of a month at these riots and get absolutely no convictions. What do you think was going to happen? So this is what's happening in Portland, but also Seattle. Seattle is where there was that autonomous zone last year that was deadly. I write about that in the book. In fact, there's a whole thing now also on Minneapolis. They had created an autonomous zone around where George Floyd was killed. And that that area now is totally dominated by thugs and has had a dramatic increase in violence to such a degree that the local businesses and the local neighbors who live there are begging the city to take it back over. So this this concept of an autonomous zone, which is essentially secession, is gradually spreading among the urban left in ways that are kind of interesting. That's right. It is a succession by another name. When I was in the autonomous zone in Seattle, that was the first time I had heard of that term. But when you go there, you see they set up barriers. They have checkpoints. The checkpoints are manned by their armed security. They have signs up saying, you are now leaving the United States. They create a literal no-go zone for police. In Seattle's case, that was allowed to go on for more than three weeks, and it led to six shootings and two murders and attempted rape and arson attacks. The one in Minneapolis has been going on now for months and months, and just recently there was a person who was murdered right out that area, and police apparently were not allowed to go in to help this person who eventually died. So, I mean, these are like many declarations of war. These are people who say that we are claiming territory that is sovereign and we don't acknowledge the American jurisdiction. It's fascinating that on both sides, on the one hand, you have the arrogance of people saying, we will decide that we are no longer in the United States. On the other side, you have the passivity of these city officials who just kind of go along with it. It's like a two-sided dance in the same direction. And I don't understand in Portland, with the level of violence they've had, the consistency of violence they've had, why haven't the people of Portland been more angry? I think places like Portland and Seattle, where they stand out as sort of examples of Antifa's violent extremism because there is a critical mass of support in the public for what is being done either through actual sympathies for the ideology that's espoused and or through fear. I think it's very important to point out that Portland and Seattle and and Minneapolis, if you will, these are left-wing political monocultures. And so there's no balance or counterpoise or any mechanism for the one-party rule to moderate. You know, they're constantly getting pushed only further in one direction, which is the direction of radicalism. And much of what I write about in my book is not just about the violence of Antifa, but how they've been able to really drastically change the Overton window for the mainstream left in the United States. I mean, as the deadly riots were happening last year, our paper of records and those commentators invited onto broadcast television in the United States were talking about how property destruction and looting are not acts of violence and that these are legitimate forms of protest that could be seen as reparations. So, you know, within these mainstream media institutions, they were providing legitimacy for acts of violent extremism. 
Antifa itself as a concept goes all the way back to, I guess, Weimar Germany. Are those real ties, or is that just a public relations ploy by the organizers of the American version? It's more so the latter, the public relations ploy, in that the original Antifa in, in the interwar years of Germany was a paramilitary of the German Communist Party, but it was banned and it ceased to exist after World War II. But the remnants of that ideology, what they call anti-fascism, is really just another name for being anti-America or anti-Western, was then institutionalized at the state level for East Germany. The East Germans called the Berlin Wall the anti-fascist defense barrier. They've always viewed the United States and its allies as fascist powers. So I would say it's more of like a spiritual and ideological link to the original Antifa rather than actual through members moving from one to the other. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You have now a growing system. You know, Biden during the presidential debate said that Antifa is an idea, not an organization. But you published documents about how to actually join. Well, you couldn't be joining an idea. So what's your interpretation of whether or not there is a real system, sort of a skeleton structure, if you will, that is Antifa? So Biden was repeating some of the words that Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, said. 
And those statements in and of themselves are not incorrect, but they're incomplete. So Antifa is an ideology. It's a movement, but the movement is made up of networks of groups and cells. It becomes a little bit more nuanced when you describe it that way. A lot of people would try to create a straw man of what I'm saying and saying that because there's no single capital A Antifa card-carrying membership type of organization, that means they don't exist. That's not true. You have groups like Rose City Antifa. You have groups like numerous Antifa cells within the Torch network. Some of them have Antifa in the name, some of them don't. Rose City Antifa is significant because that's one of the largest cells in the United States based in Portland. And it was there that I was able to get these documents of how their curriculum works and what messages are sent to those who go through the vetting process to become a member. You don't even just join by saying you want to join. You have to prove your loyalty to your comrades. You have to show that you're willing to not just follow and believe the same things, but willing to actually carry out acts of violence. So the primary documents that are published in my book for the first time I wish this had gotten attention from the left. They conveniently ignored it. I mean, it's really troubling stuff. You know, it's the introduction gradually to more and more extreme ideas. And within that, they sprinkle in things like weapons use trainings, trainings on how to maim people, how to take out an eye, how to fire guns. I mean, in their own words, their own literature, they're trying to make each other into revolutionaries. And... It was always kind of like this grand, impossible goal for them. But I think they were able to see that because of the fake fears that we were sold about Trump in 2016 when he was elected. We were all told that this is a sign of ascendant American fascism. It gave them this opening to recruit from the mainstream left. And that's why they've become what was a fringe movement, a fringe extremist ideology, they've become quite mainstream. Their membership has exploded, and so has their violence. They're both a larger organization and a more violent organization? They are, because they're being excused in the mainstream press, and they really, really do need that control of narratives. And much of their time is spent actually creating propaganda, getting fellow travelers and media to write favorable stories about them. You know, how many times were we told that these people are, are not extremists? These are anti-fascists who are just trying to protect communities from violent white supremacists. The headlines are stories that we were given day in and day out for years. So it's no surprise that, at least within much of the mainstream conscience, there's not a correct understanding of this threat that we're dealing with. And it has really serious consequences. You have mayors and politicians, and now I would argue people in the executive role, turning a blind eye to them, thinking this is not a real issue, even though they've killed, even though they have launched terrorist attacks on government property, even though they recruit out in the open, even though they have sources of funding on GoFundMe and other websites in the millions of dollars to cover all the legal fees of their comrades who happen to get arrested. I have to ask you, when they put up a GoFundMe note, what do they say? 
So GoFundMe's terms of services actually prohibits the crowdfunding for the legal fees for somebody who is accused of violent crimes. Now, that would apply to a lot of the Antifa who get arrested. But what they do and what they realize is, oh, they will just create a front group. So they'll create something that sounds very innocuous, like let's say Portland Defense Fund or Protest Defense Fund, or in the case of Minneapolis, uh, the Minnesota Freedom Fund. These were the funds that were promoted by Kamala Harris, for example, and those who worked on the Biden presidential campaign during the height of the riots in Minnesota last year. And that campaign raised over $35 million. The one in Portland raised $1.3 million. And most of the charges just get dropped anyways. So the money is returned back to them. They reinvest it for other things. They give so-called grants to other Antifa chapters to buy things like riot gear, weapons. They pay for the accommodation and traveling costs of their comrades. I mean, it wasn't particularly surprising to me that there were people from Seattle and Portland who were arrested in Kenosha, Wisconsin, when riots were breaking out there. You have this sort of loose alliance of people who are apparently quite happy to confront the police and to cause damage. Why have we not been able to declare that a conspiracy and go after it? That's a great question, and it's a question that I'm asking lawmakers all the time. And if I have the opportunity to also ask law enforcement agencies at the federal and local level, like we have RICO laws, for example, that were brought into use to help break up some of these criminal gangs that were causing so much misery decades ago. I think a lot of those laws could possibly apply to essentially what is a criminal cartel in Antifa today. I think there's no political will to do it. A lot of politicians and lawmakers aren't even willing to admit or acknowledge that Antifa is real. I've given testimony to both the Senate and the House now on several occasions on topics related to Antifa and far-left political extremism. And it's like talking to a brick wall with pretty much all the Democrats. They only want to focus on one type of extremism. What I don't understand, Andy, is why the federal government has not seen Antifa as a nationwide conspiracy and pursued it under those grounds. It raises money across the country. It distributes the money. It funds people traveling to raise trouble. There's a clear tie between Antifa showing up and anti-police violence. Why do you think the system has refused to take Antifa seriously? That's the question I've been asking myself for a long time. When I present, let's say, indisputable evidence, then they switch to banal platitude condemnations of just violence in general. It's really frustrating to be shouting from the rooftops about this violence is usually being organized openly on social media like Telegram, on Instagram, on Twitter, and big tech doesn't do anything. Law enforcement doesn't appear to be doing anything. In fact, I've been really disappointed. Many of the federal law enforcement agencies have, based on their public statements, doesn't sound like they really understand what Antifa is. They seem to think of them as just as you said earlier, as Biden has said before, just an idea, an ideology. 
I mean, that's part of it, but if this ideology is manifesting itself into a coherent belief system that is organized into groups, groups that actually have real presence on the ground, on Twitter, on Facebook, sometimes it even is a physical location where they have a presence. We should expect our law enforcement to do more. And unfortunately, it seems like there is a, in my view, a tolerance for far less violence. I mean, you can open up the opinion sections of any of our papers or records during the deadly riots that were happening last year, and they were just excusing it left and right. And I think these agencies, as we've known, how they handled various investigations in the past few years are extremely politicized. I think the point you just made is extraordinarily important, that the rule of law has increasingly been replaced by a rule of politics. And you can look at the reaction to January 6th, and then you look at the reaction to two solid years of rioting in Portland. And it's astonishing. I mean, the degree to which we're seeing this happen now across the country, that the elements of law and order are being pushed back by the elements of crime and lawlessness, very often with the help of local attorneys who have been elected with George Soros's money and the money of other left-wing groups. But, you know, it was striking to me when we talked a couple months ago, watching what was going on, and Portland had this very, very weak mayor. And somebody pointed out, yes, but the woman who's probably going to beat him is even more pro-Antifa than he is. And that's why I'm astonished at the willingness of some of these cities to sort of have slow-motion suicide as a government strategy. Yeah, if you look at what's been brewing in academe and therefore the culture that people who wants to graduate from these institutions and move into, obviously, positions of power and various other industries, you'll see that there's just been a whole gradual pushing of Americans to accept and tolerate and view far-left violence as noble. I think it's particularly telling that terrorists like those who were involved with the Weather Underground, for example, in in the 60s and 70s, these people like Bill Ayers and his wife, they're academics now. The district attorney for San Francisco, he was raised by Weather Underground members. So it's like, you can look at Angela Davis. She's viewed as a so-called civil rights icon when she spent years going to and cozying up with the regimes that are enemies in America, such as East Germany and the Soviet Union and praising communism, so on and so forth. It's not just an American issue. It's like the whole West has never really, I think, come to terms with the evil and wickedness of communism in the 20th century. Everybody understands very viscerally about the horrors and evils of Nazism and the various ideologies that are linked to the extreme far right. But things that are associated with the far left, even when they manifest themselves through violence, such as the Weather Underground, such as the various other black power groups that carried out bombings and killing of law enforcement decades ago, and what Antifa are doing now, killing people and taking over property and holding people hostage, it's all seen as for a wider good. and 
you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Yeah. But at the same time, the larger civilization, I would think, has a huge investment in not allowing lawlessness. I mean, it seems to me there's a very core question here about whether people will be protected. So if you go out and you build a small business or you build a church or in any way you try to do something positive for community, that the community has a moral obligation to then protect you against those who would willfully destroy your property and in some cases your life. I mean, doesn't it strike you that this is a remarkable crossroads for America to find itself at where down one road you end up with the Antifa's and people like that dominating and bullying and attacking whoever they want to. And down the other road, you have a fairly wrenching moment of having to have a campaign almost like the campaign we had in the late 50s against the mafia or the campaign they had in the early 30s against crime in Chicago. But if you really wanted to stop Antifa at this stage, that would be a real project, and the FBI would be very deeply involved. This lack of action by or rather the turning of a blind eye that's happening by local governments and, and even higher up. This is the ultimate betrayal to the citizens. We pay our tax dollars so that our most basic rights are protected. And in many instances, they're not. If you happen to have a business or live, let's say, in downtown Portland, where the riots are still ongoing to this day, by the way, you're just out of luck. You know, your windows get smashed up over and over and over. It's on you to replace it. All at the same time, you're having to pay the same taxes as before. And if you happen to try to protect yourself or your property or your community, you'll get prosecuted to the full extent of the law, as we've seen some people experiencing right now. So it's in the book, I write a little bit about my whole experience as somebody who's a second generation American and my gratitude to the United States in providing a safe home for my parents, for them to build a life, and then ultimately for me to be given all the rights and privileges that I have as a U.S. citizen. I don't have the luxury of taking the rule of law for granted like a lot of my peers do who are my age and younger. I think they assume that the baseline for humanity is some type of order when you look at how so much of humanity is functioning today and through antiquity historically, it's been violence, tribal warfare, and just to see all these forces now really working to not just like damage literal institutions of like law enforcement courthouses, but like they're working in overdrive to completely undermine the American philosophies and ideas that provide legitimacy to these institutions. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. One of the reasons I think that this has gotten so out of control is that the elite media doesn't want to come to grips with it. You know, the Media Research Center pointed out that in 2021, neither ABC, CBS, or NBC in their evening news covered any of the violent protests in Oregon for a period from January 1st to the middle of March. How can the country, how can the American people come to grips with the threat to their very civilization when the people who are supposed to be reporting on it refuse to even talk about it? Yeah, the fact that media is a zero-sum game and that if they're focusing on other stories, they have to leave out some things. That I mean, we can see the consequences of that. And the consequences, I think, can be deadly. Much of the American public is very ignorant about what happened in Seattle last year, what happened for months on end in Portland. They think that it's sort of just peaceful protesters against racism who are being brutalized by Trump's Gestapo and secret police. And I mean, politicians on the left actually use those adjectives and descriptions to refer to federal law enforcement who came to Portland to protect a federal property that rioters were trying to burn down night after night. I understand the significance of the riot that happened on the 6th of January. I mean, it's in the American capital, symbolic for the heart of American democracy and all that. But these firebombing and arson attacks on federal and law enforcement property in the Pacific Northwest is also important. And just because, you know, there aren't like people in Congress inside these buildings doesn't mean that we should look away from it. And the problems that the violence that has developed in Portland doesn't just stay in Portland. Like the riots in Minneapolis last year were so successful that some of these extremist groups, these Antifa networks actually put out after action reports. They were looking at how were they so successful in not just overtaking one of the police stations 
in Minneapolis, but actually burning it to the ground. What are the lessons learned from that and how do they repeat that in other cities? I mean, that blueprint was applied in some ways to the takeover to Chavs. I mean, Chavs was centered around the expelling police from the police station in the East Precinct. The networks that develop, the lessons that they learn and the things that they improve on in their criminal activities, it's applied to other places too. So people shouldn't be so blasé just because geographically some of these cities may be located far from the capital or New York. You know, I was surprised given the hostility of much of the news media about saying anything negative about Antifa. Your book ended up on the New York Times bestseller list. Was that a surprise to you? It was. Just because weeks before the book had come out, one of the largest bookstore in Portland banned sales of the book on its shelves. There were lots of people calling for numerous businesses to not sell it. They were saying that I was propagating hate, that my book was a manual for fascism. So I felt like things were stacked against me. And I certainly didn't think that the book would become a commercial success. It's on a subject that for so many years, we've been told the Antifa is not even real. By and large, I'm very dejected looking at what's been happening in America in the past, present, and the near future. But I guess like one silver lining I see is that there is a portion of the country that does want to learn more about this threat that we're facing. And so I have so much gratitude that so many people are willing to pick up the book and to read it despite some of the obstacles they face. I mean, I think one of the most recent attempts at sabotage against the book has been the proliferation of fake paperback versions on Amazon. And so, you know, all of that is meant to hurt sales and all that. The information is what's important. And some people, more people, I would say, are maybe waking up and seeing the threat. Because it is hard to deny when you're seeing hundreds of hours of footage from the past year of this deadly violence happening. And then when you see how commentators are referring to these as mostly peaceful, but then you look at what these people are actually doing in these unedited raw videos, you see a very, very different reality on the ground. Well, I think that's exactly right. And I think your book is a substantial contribution. That's why I think Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy is really an important contribution to our understanding of what really is a cancer at the heart of our democratic society. If Antifa has their way, the rule of law will collapse, and we will live in a society dominated by violence and by the most ruthless. And that would be an extraordinary loss for the human race, not just for Americans. But we have been for over 200 years a country in which the rule of law mattered and in which even the weakest and the poorest could file suit and could go to court. And if all of that breaks down and we become the rule of the most brutal, we will deeply regret not having confronted Antifa. And I think you are, without any doubt, the preeminent student of this direct threat to our society. So I just want to thank you. I want to encourage you to continue to have the courage and the energy to do your research, to cover these kind of stories, and to give the American people a chance to learn the truth. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you focusing on these important issues. 
Thank you to my guest, Andy No. You can find a link to his new book, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Slum. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.